0: Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Uh,
1: good evening, everyone. Welcome to this virtual event. Uh, my name is Helen MacDonald. Uh, I'm a writer. I'm currently in my messy kitchen in Suffolk. Um, and I, I just introduce myself. Um, I'm best known for the memoir H is for Hawk*, which is very much a book about grief and the aftermath of grief. Um, and I tried to deal with it by trading a goshawk, which is not something I'd recommend generally. Um, so it's really great to be able to um, sit here and, and, and converse with Nick Blackburn about his book, The Reactor. I have a proof here, which is um, very on-brand, covered in parrot droppings, and has been nibbled by my parrots. But um, I got to see this book before it was published. I saw a, um, an early draft, and uh, it did that magical thing that has only ever happened once before, and that was with um, The Da Vinci Code. I sat down and started reading it, and then I couldn't, I couldn't stop, which is a very rare thing. And I'm not drawing any illusions between this book and the Da Vinci Code. They're very different beasts, I should say. Nick, thank you for coming. I'm going to introduce you in that awkward way that um, I, I tend to at these events. So Nick is, if, if you don't know Nick, he's a psychoanalytic psychotherapist, and he's the chair of the site for Contemporary Psychoanalysis, and he's got a PhD in Renaissance drama from Trinity College, Cambridge. Nick, what was your... Subject, again, it was something extraordinary.
0: Uh, quotation marks.
1: So excellent. Um <laughs> I first met Nick when he was teaching English in Cambridge, uh, but he's also a performance director. He's worked with the Worcester Group in New York, and he has his own production company um, specializing in radical, experimental, beautiful, dangerous theater. And now he's made this beautiful, beautiful thing, this book, and this account of brief and its workings and everything else. And there's everything in here. You know, there's painting, fashion, music, Deliverance, Bob Dylan, Ian Curtis, Love, Death, Ghosts, Queerness, Fukushima, The Red Shoes, Art Theory, Performance, His Life, The Life of His Parents, YouTube videos, um, the Rajnashi cult, which was an unexpected one, um, Grenfell and Chernobyl. It's it's everything, so many things in this book, and it's it's rich, and it's beautiful, and it's heartbreaking, and it does that magic trick of being not only intellectually phenomenally fierce, but at the same time, it's deeply generous and, and it's incredibly open. So if you've not got a copy, sort it. Nick, hello, how are you doing?
0: Hello, I'm doing very well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you been working today or is this a day off?
0: Yeah, yes, N- not, not too much this week actually, which is a, a bit of a coincidence really, but it's nice. And Excellent. I've been sat at home, I'm reading my way through that there's a new Francis Bacon book called Bacon in Moscow, and I'm like, <laughs> Uh, this, which like ticks lots of my boxes. Uh,
1: I uh, um, I'm going to start uh, with a, a question. I'm holding these questions. I'm going to be reading a lot of them because your book is very, very generative thought-wise, and um, I have uh, to write stuff down. Otherwise, I'd probably just end up sort of just going off on tangents so wild that I even I won't know what I'm talking about. So, apologies for reading. The, the first question I think is really I don't know whether you're the kind of person who's always written not necessarily diaries, but but written day-to-day about what's going on in your life. I, I used to be that person. And then it kind of sort of stopped uh, in my college years. And then when my father died, I started writing compulsively again. And it felt at the time like I was sort of suturing the world back together or trying to. So I guess the question I really wanted to ask was, are you that kind of person? And really, when and how did this book as a project
0: begin? No, I'm... I think I'm not that kind of person. I remember I, when I was sort of like nine or 10, there was like a, like a roll Dahl diary with like lots of sort of, which was a kind of like how you're supposed to do a diary. And I had like the fantasy of like, oh, I'm going to become the kind of person that like does a diary. And, uh, you know, and I think there was like, I got like two entries into it and then, you know, it's like, it's, it's yeah. the object. And in the same way, when I started my therapy, I, I had a little sort of exercise book and I was like, I'm going to write down what goes on in in my therapy every time. And I did that twice. And I think the thing that that happened was almost like making these little kind of micro performances in a way. As like, I think that's more what I was doing, writing these like little sort of bits and scraps of notes that and and originally it was um it was a coincidence that a dear friend and ex of mine, uh, Richard Porter, was doing a, an anthology about joy and wanted kind of small texts for that. And I ended up and it was right around the time that, that my father died quite suddenly. Um and I was like, Ooh. And and I sent him a sort of a, a list of maybe like 7 or 8 of these little bits and actually it's what ended up being a lot of the first sort of 7 or 8 pages of the book mm. it's a bit more divided up than that but it kind of it was always sort of that weirdly kind of performative I mean even when I got back into kind of something a bit more like very short story writing or writing little bits of text it it was because there was um A sort of spoken word event in London that, when I'd sort of just started kind of living here a bit, yeah, I was like, "Oh, it's a chance." I'm really describing a chance to show off, aren't I?
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that at all.
0: (laughs) But showing more than off, sort of showing that I'm—I've just got worms and dust under my t-shirt. Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) familiar feeling. Would you like to read some? I'd love. I'm sure the audience would love love to hear some. Yeah. Um Please, please feel free.
0: And there's there's lots of there's lots of different bits of the book, and and some of them will will kind of touch on. Um, and some of it I would like to imagine is sort of funny and light, and some of it's like floaty things about trees and clouds. And and I'm aware that it's the. 77th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. So you're going to get a bit of a bit that's a bit more like that, I'm afraid. Uh, hmm. Speaking of being afraid. In Lawrence Reese and Catherine Tatch's documentary Auschwitz on Netflix, there is a story about the Potts family from Kent, who traveled to the Channel Islands in 1939. My mother used to go on holiday as a child there in the 1950s. The Potts family's nanny, Therese Steiner had come to England from Austria to avoid persecution. Wendy Davenport says, it was like having two mothers. When the family wanted to go back to Kent in the spring of 1940, authorities in the Channel Islands followed Home Office guidelines and refused to allow Therese, then classed as an enemy alien, to leave. Wendy Davenport says, although my mother pleaded with them, they came the next day and took her away. And in fact, we never saw her again. I think there were anti-Semitic people there. There was, should I tell you, there was some about this man who said to my mother, if you trail Jewesses about after you, what do you expect? So she told me, which is pretty disgusting. The Germans invaded the Channel Islands in the summer of 1940. It was the British police on Guernsey who organised the registration of Jewish people on the island. Four were registered on Guernsey that autumn, four on Jersey. Their cards were marked with a red J. In April 1942, Marianne Grunfeld, August Spitz and Therese Steiner were asked to come to the Central Police Station, where Police Clerk Sergeant Ernest Plevin asked Therese to report to the Way Bridge at St Peterport at 7pm on the 21st of April 1942, 44 years and five days before the nuclear accident at Chernobyl, with warm clothes and luggage not heavier than she could carry. Barbara Newman is speaking on the documentary in a turquoise jacket over a cream-knit jumper. She says that two of them went down with Therese to the port, that they probably wheeled her luggage on a bike, that they waved to her as she went through the gateway and the barrier, she says, waving, and she went, and that was it. It was all a mystery, she says, where had she gone, sort of hoped she would come back, but eventually she didn't. It was all outside our experience really, things like that didn't happen in England. Augusta Spitz, Mariana Grunfeld, and Theresa Steiner were arrested a few months later in France, part of the roundups of july nineteen forty two, and transported to Auschwitz, where all three of them died. I'm sobbing writing this. I've got myself very upset. I want to go upstairs to my mother, crying about Teresa Steiner, saying goodbye to my father when he was in A&E, assuming he'd be home in a few days, going to London, seeing my patients, preparing a presentation for the training seminar that weekend. I want to say I've had a bad dream. On the documentary, they're playing Arvo Pertz's Spiegel in Spiegel, mirror in mirror, that means in English, reflecting and reflecting. The German words zerfall and zersetzung are both used in nuclear physics to talk about decay, disintegration, decomposition, dissociation of matter. Zersetzung was also what Hitler told people Jews did, or Jews were. In his worldview, Jewish people were the agents of decay within the system, coming from somewhere else, undoing things. Nature does not know political boundaries. She puts her creatures onto the earth and then waits for the free game of power to play out. The strongest one in spirit and diligence will receive the Lord's position as her most beloved child. It has been argued this paragraph from Mein Kampf represents Hitler's most fundamental belief. That near the end of his life, he pretty much shrugged and said, perhaps I was wrong about Germans being the master race. I guess it wasn't the Germans after all. Watching the documentary, going upstairs to bed in the dark, I feel frightened. Why am I frightened? As if I'll see a ghost, going upstairs, using my phone as a torch. If you start thinking things through, this feeling says, thinking about responsibility, something is going to come out of the dark and it will try to get you. If you think too hard, Something awful is gonna to happen to stop it. Jung said ghosts are our shadows. The dark things we split off from ourselves. Ghosts are part of our decay chain.
1: Thank you, Nick. That that section extraordinary in the book and and, and carries so much of what the book does in in one place. You know, we have the kind of witnessing part of it. We have the mediation through YouTube, which is something I'd love to talk about in a bit. And we have politics, um, deep politics, which again I'd like to talk about in a bit, grief, uh, Chernobyl, losses, ghosts. and this notion, this this very interesting relationship that the book have has and the character that's you in the book has with thought. So you know the book is full of metaphors. In many ways, it's a, it's one it's a grand metaphor that Chernobyl is like the greatest and most terrifying and impossible of metaphors. And they're slippery and generative. And and you know the the book is full of statements. You know you sort of say the workings of grief are unconscious, invisible, like radiation. These 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 great statements that it's very you know you hook on them when you're a reader. But a lot of the work for me and that the book does, and the magic of the book is the way that the narrative progresses and it picks up chimes and the repetitions and objects reappear and then everything. It's a very, very generous act for the reader. It's like, you know, this sort of sense that there's a retroactive process going on for the reader at all times. But again and again, there's this sense that thought is dangerous. You quote Bob Dylan and you talk about how sort of generalizing is dangerous and thinking is dangerous. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that, that fear of, of thought and what that, what that means. I may have got that wrong. I'm sorry if so.
0: I'm thinking about the number of people that that come to me in what I'm pretentiously trying to call the clinic, but is this room here? <laughs> and and who are scared of their own thoughts, you know, who say that they're scared of their own thoughts. And I, I guess maybe I've had that experience, but I think we're pull me back into this if I sort of go off on one. But but I I feel like both you and I are aware in a certain way or a are working in our work with this sort of in, inherent kind of violence, and I suppose I suppose it's a book about about conversions in the sense that that Freud, for example, one of his ideas is that we're always converting sort of well this kind of like sexual energy and violent energy into sort of other forms. But I guess we're and that. I suppose that sex is a form of violence or violence is a form of sex, but these things just kind we're talking about relating really, aren't we? And relating yeah. to our own thinking and but that it's, I mean, it seems odd to me now, but I know that it's its the case that we're sort of uh, at some point, has it always been like this? But I guess I'll, I was born into a world where we're, we're trained to dissociate from the knowledge of our own violence, which is, uh, therefore, you know, what's repressed runs wild, and, and therefore it's everywhere, while also weirdly being being trained to embrace forms of violence as if they weren't part of us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, that we're all supposed to become soldiers who don't know how to handle their own anger.
1: And the reactor being such an exquisite device for repressed violence and anger, and I mean, grief, I mean, every, it's, there it is, so you, you've got your steam voids, right?
0: It's... Yeah. And and some and a couple of times, um, someone's asked me the, the perfectly reasonable question. So why Chernobyl? <laughs> and I can say this thing about 1986 that it was, I think, the first disaster that I experienced in the way that it's one of those kind of like 9/11 type or the explosions of of, of the bombing in uh, that Baghdad I'm thinking of like the but you know, a few of these. I, I think I think Grenfell should be one of those for us, and it isn't. But yeah, light like tube bombing and all that. Kind. And, and maybe we're living through one now in a strange, elongated kind of. I don't know what to think about this period now. Um, but yeah, so I, and I say like this thing of 1986 and I, I do remember the panic buying and uh, this thing of well, it is falling on us and a sense of our own permeability and so on. Um, and the way it, it crosses over in my mind with the very famous tombstone about AIDS, which is also 86 and all that. But I think, I think really, it it's probably also to do with my own rage. And I don't quite see you know, I don't quite see the edges of that or it doesn't that's not it's not what emotions are. They don't have edges, do they? Yeah.
1: Well, is that your subject, Nick? I know this is, you know, the old chestnut of every writer having a subject. And, um, you know, mine's either death or love, depending on what mood I'm in. Is is yours rage and violence? Is that your core? Oh, I hope not.
0: Uh, <laughs> Good subject. But maybe. I mean, I keep it's because we only really I think that's probably right. We only really get one. Yeah, I think it's and and there's there's a bit about McQueen and and fashion in the book, which is like there's a there's a shape in the dark and it's doing something to me, and I don't know what the shape is doing, and yeah. and I think it it's like men reaching out to men, and is it what's the nature of that, and is it is it and 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 the nature of the contact that I'm craving, I guess, in the world. Do I want someone to slap me into sense? or do I want a hug, or, or an orgasm, or, or what?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a bit towards the end of the book, I'm going to just find it, because I was absolutely... Um, again, please please stop me if I go off on one end <laughs> in a sort of completely way. It's a quote from Antonio Fink, um and it's about how, through narration, the more connections made between different Greek. And in this account, Connections between things, and the book. This book is called ceaselessly making connections. It's it's what it does most beautiful. Well, one of the most beautiful things it does. And then, this, so that connections between things seem in this account a bit like kind of guy ropes or stays or things that that bind. And then mm-hmm. there's this sort of thing with decontamination, which is the last part of the book. You write that some things just have to be left where they are, and what you have to do is stabilize the building around them. Um, is that part of? What is doing these, are the connections part of a decontamination process? Is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, the that if you can, I mean, again, this, it, I think it's as much a sort of an obsession with form as it is anything else. You know, yeah. I've created an aesthetic object, and that's also what we do with things that are terrifying: we eroticize them or we aestheticize them. But yeah, the, this the, this quote from um, and there's a there's a lot of Contemporary work—I say contemporary—means like over the last thirty years, which is contemporary in psychoanalytic terms, <laughs> it's very slowly. But but yeah, the kind of it's stuff following on from from beyond. But but the sense of like that that the psychoanalytic work is is in a field um, with sort of zones of intensity and so on. But yeah, if you can, the, the more things that you can chain together or sort of. Uh, create constellations, the less, as as he says, yes, the less havoc it can re- uh, havoc it can wreak, mm. and and I think even though some of some of the connections are rather ridiculous, in the book,
1: oh Jack Horseman in there, that's very important, I think
0: it, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and there's argument about possessing things as well. I mean, and, and I think it goes both ways because the. I think the same thing which is like you need to join things together so you don't go mad is also, yes, that's what colonialism does, that's what appropriation does, Uh, it's what the patriarchy does and, you know, all of these kind of the discourses which are oppressive. And in a sense, you know, it is a wicked book in that way, that it insistently brings these things together, most of which are not mine but then as mm-hmm. i say i don't think very much of anything is ours really yeah. and it, and it says this very sad thing i think about my and perhaps it's not just me but a kind of isolation or, or atomization mm-hmm. that it, if i was just a bit more connected with people I i could in you know, like i could have more hugs and i wouldn't need to write the book and it's a sort of like it, it's a bit of a you know i'm i'm an only child I've, I've had a lovely life really, you know, I'm not kind of, uh, but there is a, there's a kind of a loneliness, you know, which is both a beautiful smell and a kind of a, it makes it hard to get up sometimes. Yeah, um, absolutely. That, you know, that of course lends itself to writing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, talk about mirrors, you know, there we are, hello. Uh, here and sort of brush crumbs at sort a of kind of displacement activity. Um, no, and, and, and the, the politics is really interesting. The, so the the, the the sort of networks that you, you're you talking about, the sort of political, the wickedness there, and, and, you know, there's this astonishing line later in the book where you talk about how the, the, the breakup of empire is a nuclear disaster that must and that cannot be grieved. I'd love to have some more sort of gloss on that and what what you're doing with that astonishing statement. Sorry, is that, a, is that an ambush? Apologies.
0: <laughs> It's one of the lines in the book that I just want to sort of leave there, really. Yeah. Um, but it, but I mean, but in a more, in, in that it's like, it's something that needs carving on a slab, I suspect, in 25 foot letters. But also it's, it's something that has that kind of, yeah, like Milton saying, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have like Paradise Lost rhyming. So it's like the jingling of like ending is, it's like, "Oh, I'm not going to, it's like once, once something sounds pretty, yes. what's it distracting you from? But also, what? yeah, I mean, it, we're kind of we're we're caught in this in this loop uh, at, at the moment of of you know, and all these debates of like we want to tear the statues down so that we don't have to tear ourselves apart, versus we want to leave them all up so we never have to think about anything and. It's amazing. I was at um the the site did um a conference about um racism and white fragility at goldsmiths uh that Adam Phillips uh spoke at. Psychoanalyst. Um and and one of the things that that he said, I'm quoting one of the, one of the few white speakers at this conference, but you know, it was a pretty thing. So here I am. But he was wondering if there was less racism, if there might be more suicide. And I think we have to take on again. You know, um, we could we we could debate, and black people could debate. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah, gets yeah. to die? Yeah, he does,
1: he does. Um, to pick up
0: that. But but as if there's something about well, uh, something about hate which saves you from sorrow. I mean, yeah. all of these. You know, but but who it who who grieving? Well, and and that maybe. In the sense that a grieving process is a process of forgetting, um, do you always is grieving always the the thing to do but then if there is if the alternative to grieving is having a breakdown, yeah and that maybe you know if we 're saying that what what the West or you know what patriarchy needs is a breakdown, yeah. then again it 's like what happened in in Ukraine or in the aftermath of, the, of uh, the collapse of the USSR, or yeah, of, of like it, it's not—it's not a place one would want to bring one's children up.
1: Right. Let that settle. I'm not supposed to let things settle. I'm supposed to continue with the conversation, but I am now deep in thought. Um, I'm gonna—I'm gonna pull back from that and let it settle quietly and in the minds of everyone watching. Thank you. Um, I want to ask about YouTube. Um, <laughs> one of the things <laughs> very love in, in in this book and in other books. I mean, the the, the writer Elena Passarello, another great favorite of mine, um, also um, comes out with these kind of wonderfully ekphrastic kind of expositions of video she's watching. And of course, this is just, it's not a device in the sense that, you know, this is what we do, right? <laughs> this is what we do, all of us, all the time. You know, I spend afternoon watching street food videos, you know, it's how I experience the world these days. But this notion that that in order to write a memoir, one needs to be present, you need this kind of virtual witnessing, this testimony of being there, and the way in which you're working through the eyes of others. Uh, and I'd love to know more about particularly the Chernobyl person, uh, bio-nerd, um, and what that person is to you as a writer when you're following her eye through through the ruins. Because you, 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 there are these beautiful descriptions, some of which merge into fairy tales so that the writing becomes mythic, and then you're like, oh, we're talking about Brothers Grimm. Oh no, it's Chernobyl, you know. Yeah. and you're, you're following her eyes and her camera. And as I read it, it's like you're there. It's a really interesting um,
0: thing mm. to read. And I think that they're really, it's a really phenomenal series of of short films, and that actually quite a lot of people have seen that these, yes, a series of YouTube videos. And I'd never particularly watched like urban exploration videos. Was not so much my bag really. Yeah. But but just, and I I would. I would love one day to ha- have a conversation with Bionet 23, but you know, you may well um, deeply resent <laughs> what I've <I'm telling> done. <laughs> um, it's deeply personal and intimate, while at the same time, you don't know this person's name, you know, very much about them, not really telling you about the thoughts and feelings, it's just this sort of walk through this landscape. And and it's quite and it's spontaneous and they're quite long and but there is a you are brought in and it's just I mean it's you know this is a kind of evasive answer in a way but it, I, I find it impossible not to just get totally you know and you're just you're in the in the as in different bits of this book you're going along with me. Being just totally drawn in by by certain people's abilities to generate a, a quality of attention, or, or certain kind, you know, certain forms of, and and I'm sure, you know, there's there's all sorts of things that that one could say. I mean, they're very, to me, through my eyes, they're very queer videos. And again, you know, I I, I don't know anything about. Pino 23 and so on, and you know, and it's in a sense in terms of like all sorts of, I mean, you know, just being a sort of a red as, as female bodied kind of scientist. Yeah, 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 totally good, okay. you know, what's not weird about that? Um, <laughs> and the sort of the, again, that kind of isolation thing, the sense of, of different countries of speaking in English with an accent and then being in Ukraine and borders. I mean, it's just, it's just there's it's just, there's just a lot going on in those. Yeah. <laughs> and, and,
1: you, and you make pilgrimages too. I mean, you do go to these places, you go to Japan and you, you, you go to Belarus and, you know, in that sort of way that you're meant to go to a place and it will, you know, change who you are or, or, or and, and actually place is a really interesting thing. You know, this is another one of my, my, my things in, in that you know, I remember when I was an undergraduate I got obsessed with Frank O'Hara, the great New York school poet. And um, you know, one of the great myths that he you know wrote as a joke really in the, was that he wrote his collection lunch poems, as you know, by by wandering into a typewriter's short stores and just bashing these things out on his lunch hour, which is just so delightful and, and total bullshit. <laughs> One of the things I adore about the book too is that how, how attentive you are to the spaces in which the writing is, is, is done. You know, you're, you're on a balcony in a Witherspoons in a, in a mainline railway station or, or you're on a train, you're in a bedroom, you're in, you know, often, often traveling. Um, and often, in, and there seems to be a sort of sense that the, that the length of these little pieces relates to the sort of the, the time and the space that you have to write them in. And I wondered about that, how these different contexts affected your writing and, and, and how that practice works.
0: I suppose it's also about satisfaction that it was it, it was satisfying to write these these little pieces of, of, of that sort of length and it was satisfying to repeat that process. There is some of that, incidentally, in Tennyson's In Memoriam, right? There's a whole thing about him rather obsessively sort of repeating which again is about grieving, right? And there's well this you know, like one could write a, a very boring essay about Repeating and working through, but you know, and it's just it's also about kind of a a certain form of geekery I suppose this this book is like, oh I can do oh look I can do you know um, that I really I resisted as like this is this is a bit too weird i can't possibly get away with just writing in one page pages. But
1: yeah, because there's that sort of panic in the There's a sort of sense, quite often, there's a few times places in the book where there is this, this worry that you express that the book is in pieces. Like, how can you make it mm. into something? Which of course then gets sort of tracked into, I'm in pieces. Was there a moment where you were like, you were like, got it, you know, this is how it is. This is the form.
0: The honest answer is I had other people who I respected who said, you're allowed, you're allowed to do it. Yeah. And I don't think I would have done that otherwise. Wow, that's really. Um, nice. I mean, and it's you know, it, it's kind of like maybe I would have had the the sort of the, the lunacy or, or the courage to kind of, but I I needed a I needed a kick of. Uh, like
1: Erin like O'Connor, right? Like Erin, mm-hmm. like Erin O'Connor in the story yeah, yeah, of exactly. the Show, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 who's pushed by the Queen. To do something she didn't think she was capable of, and is is grateful for it, right? So that seems like a. Listen to me. I'm I'm just wittering away now. Stop me. I'm, I shouldn't be talking. You should, Nick.
0: <laughs> no, it's a, no, it's a conversation, and people <laughs> will want to hear more about you.
1: <laughs> can we can um. we end with um uh? I mean, before we go into questions, I'm, I'm sure I, I might just sort of butt in and start asking more things. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask about shark attacks, but I might leave that for later or ah. not not in an event. I want to ask about who the book's addressed to, because initially it's addressed to your, your your dad. And then later on, it's addressed to you, your future self. And you actually say, you know, hello, you. I'd love to, I'd love to know more about your reader, like who were your implied reader or whoever you're, you know, who you're addressing as you, who are you writing to? Does it change throughout or was there sort of, how did that work for you?
0: I think some of the book is... You know, in, in the sense that some of it is is just getting sort of geekily obsessed about form. I, my sense is that that those bits about I and you and are kind of they're a little bit like the like the bits that are just about anagrams or are just about reflecting or there's like there's a there's a bit that's just about like me looking at my foot reflected in the bath as well as the foot <laughs> and the light and the foot and the and in a way, it's it's a rather a bit like the way that, that on a kind of surface level, the nuclear thing is mm-hmm. a bit like sort of my kind of old fossil doing a dissertation brain, being like, oh, that's something that you could write a book about. Um, okay. A bit like a sort of a, those are, those are the kind of anchors, mm-hmm. and 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 I think probably my model for an addressee having been ruined by Beckett at a tender age as a sort of making it up for company, you know, addressing sometimes rather grumpily my own narcissism, yeah. um, and my own enjoyment of, of other people's things tends to be a, a form of overhearing, but yeah. then, I mean, and it's the same in sonnets and stuff isn't it, that it's a you that's never quite yeah. you you, it's the yeah, you yeah, that's yeah. just on the other side of you. Yeah. yeah no oh, I've got thousands
1: more questions. What did you have... want
0: to know about shark attacks, Helen?
1: Well there's this bit, there's this bit, right? There's this bit where you talk about watching the you know, the report of a shark attack and this it's it's absolutely her it's so powerful. It's it's just this this uh this girl this who's been bitten by a shark and she's yeah, in, yeah. You know, in a terrible state, she's in shock. And the doctors are saying, you know, she's in shock. She'll say all sorts of things, you know. Yeah. And in the morning, she'll be okay, which is such a you know obviously chimes with that what happens after an event or a you know big grief or a shock mm. you know is you, you speak right I don't know shark attack for some reason that 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 as a an event sort of chimes so much with the themes of sort of violence and and, and randomness and, and and just shit happening that I kind of wanted to know more about it.
0: Well, and and, and I asked you because it, at the moment it's the it's the thing that sort of. It's the most going round in, in my... It's the thing that I'm sort of obsessed with at the moment. Oh, wow. That I'm really busily trying to be like, no, no, stop. Almost that it's... I don't know yet whether it can go in a new thing or, or if it's just a sort of annoying ghost of, of, this, of this thing. Well, no, I'd
1: colour that one up. Shark attacks are astonishing things culturally. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: And and this, like, and again, all these YouTube videos of... It's usually guys. Kind of like fishing in these really narrow canoes or like sea kayaks. And you're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. What? what? Yes, of course there's a shark. But this kind of like the depth and the way that they come out of this depth. And then they're sort of like, I understand like why the Pixar sharks are so cute, that they're like these enormous, like monster dogs, but also they're just like. It's not their fault that their teeth are just designed to like rip seals apart, but they're just like, yes, I'm just like, I'm just chilling here. But I've got like a mouthful of razor blades that just growing forever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm super curious about you. And the way that I find out about you is is by taking a bite out of you and then seeing what happens. And we're not built very well for that
1: no it's not uh-huh. it's not you know, this communication is uh, yeah i learn a lot about you from taking a bite out of you but the the conversation is a little one sided yeah 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 i have a friend i have a friend a surfer friend who had some surgery on his back he he had some moles that had gone weird and um he you know tells tells all the all the girls that it was a shock attack it's absolutely shocking oh yeah that was in that was in bali and uh, Honestly, could, I know this is like a real key. Me and people always say this after talking to authors, but uh, I really just want to keep talking now. This is just, it's unfair that this has to end, so. But we've, uh, got,
0: we've got questions.
1: We've got questions. <laughs> um, okay, uh, Despina says, I've been writing for many years and I've written a memoir, but I'm at Cambridge doing an, um, an MST in writing for performance MSC. MST? I am so ignorant. Um, so oh, it's
0: like, like yeah. M Star, isn't it? In, in Oxford it is. money, it's like
1: a, it, is, yeah. it is. It is. I'm so sorry for my ignorance, people. Um, in my writing for performance, and I'm writing short films, but it seems my work is too close to the bone, as it deals with psychological pain caused by death, rate, misunderstanding, and, and childhood ghostiness. So it's not a question as such as an observation. And um, yeah, what what is this this notion of things being too close to the bone? Is a fascinating one culturally. I wonder if you have any sense of. Of that kind of sense sort of taboo subjects, or
0: well, then who's bones? Like, are you the? Are, are you the? You know, you're both like sort of shark and victim. It's complicated, this, isn't it? Because I think writing and and performing trauma. Again, I thank you very much for for bringing this in. And of course, I know nothing about you, um, and precious little about myself. But of course, there is this thing that it, it seems like that there was a real, like one of the literary vogues, which is now supposedly like something from the past was like sort of trauma memoirs or like something that the editors and publishers, I've, I've heard them speaking about the days, the dead, the gone days when this was as if like, now it's very, you know, but, but one of the things that, that people think they want from us as artists is a sort of pornography of violence or trauma. And I think in terms of, of my work with patients, something that that is, is very much a sort of a live issue and one that I can't claim to sort of be able to un- unravel in a way that applies to different people in the same way or, yeah, when a kind of a working through is like swallowed up again into a sort of numbing activity. Um, and and people who, the way that we do all sorts of things just to feel stuff, and and how quickly the just to feels. I mean, or is it always already is is sensation always a form of numbing? Mm. I mean, and what? But mm. the, I think there's some truth to that, isn't there? And that is a problem. Yeah, uh, and in in producing work, and there'll always be people queuing up to say, "Well, this is too much, isn't it?" You know, that's another thing. You know, and who the people are that often get told, "Well, but this, all this, it's it's a lot, isn't it? Could it not mm-hmm. be more?" And then look at look at what it looks like when you do what they want you to do, and who it looks like who they're trying to turn you into.
1: Mm-hmm. There's been some really interesting stuff on trauma lately, hasn't it, in terms of that 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 notion of interrogating trauma narratives. You know, I, I always think of the um this is again, um Justina says, you know, that was the question was, is it okay to write about trauma? Yes, or write to write trauma. Um I think we 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 tackled that. Um but I always think of that, you know, that that sort of the way this the CIA and the Iowa Writers Workshop conspired to get everyone writing about their inner turmoil rather than write, you know socialist fiction about real things and political stuff. You know, was, that sense is always a worry for me about the politics of writing about oneself in that regard. And I think, you know, increasingly I feel that there is, in my own work, I have like a, uh, a, a real urgency to making those connections between the personal and the political at, at all times.
0: Um and, and what the role of the market is that comes in, yeah. or, or we could say strangers, when you're having to create something which is it's a very particular form of sharing and and how exposing and being exposed but also how how communicating in terms of it being all right you know i i'd want to say you know everything is everything is you know it's language or everything is human or um and that that some of the questions that one gets asked or that you know why am i doing this or why are you doing this it can be very Exposing, and or it can repeat a form of violence that you're trying to excavate in your writing, and that's uh, when it starts getting acted out in the reception. is is sort of scary, I think.
1: Oh, thank thank you, um, and and, and, and thank, thanks, thanks, Um Another question from from Tim. Um, in the book, I found a lot of layers from within psychology to real world everyday things: strawberry milkshakes, kids on a tube platform. So obviously abstract concepts, death, fashion, music, etc. How do you find acknowledging and connecting the different layers assists the grieving process? And if you want to talk about the notion of grieving as a
0: process, that's also obviously part of that question. I, I think, I mean, and this may not quite answer the question, but, but I think I came to trust the fact that actually, I'm not especially random you know, in terms of the things that I'm interested in, and I think the things that one is interested in, and again, this is a sort of a a psychoanalytic article of faith, really, of like, you know, don't imagine, you know, this is from a film, isn't it? It's not as random as all that, Um, which is also a paranoid thought. I mean, and that's worth, you know, that we're all we're going to bump up against our own paranoia at some point. But, and again, after sort of eight years of whatever, of like, twice weekly, trying to free associate, which is very difficult to to freely associate, like trying to write free verse, you know, you you kind of the, the body resists. And it's a sort of a trying to, and actually as I, as I went through it, it was almost, there's only a few places like this, but just trying to include something that I thought was a bit crap, Um. As a kind of a, I mean, this is a this is a dangerous game and a fool's errand, right? But just a, a few things where I'm like, oh, I really don't like that, but I, but why don't I just the, not? I can't cope with doing too much of that. Maybe I'll get braver next time. Probably yeah. less brave, but uh, of like just no, put that in, and then if I need to explain it, or blend it out into the background, then I'll I'll do that somehow, just so that people. Cope.
1: Is, is, I'm going to put in now. I'm fascinated with that. Do, is it? Are those things that you thought were crap? Is that one of the situations where, when anyone else reads it, they don't think they're crap? They just feel crap to you. Because I get that all the time. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Look at this. This is like literally the worst paragraph ever, and no one notices. It's really hard.
0: Yeah. And and some of the things that you've or that people have quoted, I'm like, and. Right. Some of the some of the strangest most not many but some of the strangest most beautiful bits I um, was like you know again on 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 advice from people that you know and my own was like and yeah. I think I think the bits where I feel like I'm pretending to be pretending to write a sort of magazine article or a kind of a, or what people would call like a proper successful book about grief or something that are like I. I feel like the person that writes that probably wouldn't be my friend, <laughs> but it you know but also it's it's me, but yeah, I think um and there's a whole like the a lot of the kind of artists that are around in the book or like um it's, less, it's a little bit with with Francis Bacon in a particular period of his work or or like the the very famous nineteen, his breakthrough picture, which he, is like the man screaming under the umbrella. And he said he started off uh, trying to do a bird alighting on a field again, which is probably bullshit. Mm-hmm. But these things of like just follow it, and then when you see something, you can kind of go with it. I've probably done a bit of that in the book of, of like, there's a really uh, oh, what's it what's called, but like it's a kind of. Abstract art kind of technique of like you just put things down and then you can mm-hmm. work on it in layers and I did that quite a lot in the book. There's a light.
1: question here. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut in. I'm, 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 no, no, I'm so sorry. I, I, but it, it seems to sort of link really beautifully. And I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a question and hopefully we might better go over a little bit and, and get back to okay. it. Cornelius is saying about um, the in the book you talk about the allegory and visual art and sort of saying that that because the book isn't particularly chronological. Um, while reading, they had the sense that the vignettes could be sort of shuffled and reordered and be just as effective and heartrending. So they'd love to hear more about both the process of piecing the book together and more about the importance of chance.
0: For you, yes, and there was some of that, uh, and particularly the the middle section. I I did cut it all up and put it on the floor while my partner was away, and I, I sort of thought that that would like I'd. Um, I think, although I would not wish to encourage anyone in drug taking, it seems like the people that are very successful at that take an awful lot of cocaine, whereas (laughs) I myself...
1: The David Bowie technique of...
0: uh, Yeah, borrows and all that, of like, I think you have to be a bit off your face to do that, and it's... that is not a phase of my life that I have arrived at as yet. One of the most pleasurable things about the writing process was being able to sort of tessellate things and just having this sort of childish fantasy that there was an order that I was following and and then actually the i think the third section most of it came about in the order that it happened in i I think one of the i think i think deliverance which became a sort of one of the framing devices of that probably came later but a lot of it, it came out in that order mm-hmm um but still a kind of a maybe like some of the second thoughts about particular bits came in after or... I also really like, is it Float by Anne Carson? There's a particular collection of of Anne Carsons I think where you you can reorder things like that. I love stuff like that.
1: Yes, I was thinking there's there's kids books with bodies and heads and arms and you can flip round and make monsters, she said, going to the most childish analogy possible.
0: (laughs) <laughs> but, it, but it's come back to me that another definitely in my head was those, like, fighting fantasy game books where you can, like, go She's to page 55. Or... Yeah, you have died. Yeah, yeah, always.
1: Yeah. I was hopeless at those. I, I just was like, yes, the worst luck. I'm, I'm going to um, crack on to the last question here. I'm so sorry to, to, to hurry you along. I feel terrible. Um, I it. It's from John. What links your psychoanalytical practice? This, isn't, this is a tiny question. What yeah. links your psychoanalytical practice, the book, and producing David Hoyle's shows at the RVT.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if you could have 30 seconds on that, like the Today's program.
0: Well, free thinking, improvisation, um, and a little glass of uh, red wine, and perhaps a light day makeup. Um, yeah, I mean, it's all, the, these are all spaces in which we can think with, humor and beauty about the horrendous things that have happened to us and the horrendous things that we're capable of doing to other people. And and that boundaries are um, an illusion, and that idea is is terrifying. There
1: you go. (laughs) Beautiful. We keep crashing the pips, as they say. The questions were great. Um, Nick, um, I've had an absolute well of a time. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for this book. It's so beautiful and significant and, and, and you know, it won't get out of my head, which just again happens to very, very few books. Um, everyone, if it hasn't got it, buy a copy, uh, buy it for your friends. And thank you to Nick again. Thank you to the LRB Bookshop. And I hope in person uh, events might be possible at some point and see you all then. Thank you.
0: Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, Visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.